Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Men in Red Show. My name is John Aarons. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful and lovely co-host, Drew Hamm. Drew, how are you doing today? I am doing very lovely. Thank you for mentioning that. I know. I don't know how often you get told that you're lovely in your day-to-day life, so I want to make sure that you're always aware that there's someone out there that believes that you're a lovely person. Um, Going right into this, it's been a few, it's been over a week now. We have gone through the entire spin cycle of stories about Wisconsin basketball. You and I were both at the championship game. I was at Indianapolis for the uh, for the weekend itself, but you came down that Monday for the championship game. How was your championship game experience? What were some of the takeaways that you had from uh, your time in Indianapolis? Um, just to kind of get the show started and, and work our way through what is a lot to digest coming off of what is arguably the most uh, successful season of Badger athletics in any sport. I mean, I had a wonderful time in Indianapolis. Uh, that city is built to host events like this. Uh, that little downtown bar area, it's all within walking distance of Lucas Oil Stadium. You're allowed to drink in the street. There's no open container law which I believe we uh, discussed while we were there that we didn't really believe was a thing. I was nervous to take my beer outside of a bar. I was thinking that everybody was just playing a joke on me and I was going to get arrested. Yeah, it seemed like a setup. That was pretty much my my thoughts the entirety of the weekend, was walking around looking kind of at every single person and saying, this seems like a setup. At what point are we just going to get surrounded like a um, like an old Western movie with people on horses and um, you're just going to get thrown in the back of a, a stagecoach and haul off to, you know, Gary or something like that where I'm going to serve some serious time. That was pretty much what I felt the entirety of the time walking around. But when I finally got over that fear, which took a couple of hours, I did, I did really enjoy how Indianapolis was set up for the event. I mean, we both live in Chicago. We both hold Chicago in, in high regard when it comes to getting around. You and I both take several modes of public transportation to get in and around the city every single day. Um, but to have every single thing for an event in one place where you can walk to it all is, is kind, of, kind of amazing. Yeah, it was for, great. Yeah, and especially for for a, a big event, I mean, to not to be able to just park your car and then just walk around was kind of cool. It, it actually reminded me a lot of being at a um, you know a football game where there was a lot of things to do and you were meeting people and you just had to walk places. But even in Madison, I would take a cab for some of that stuff. So um, so it was, it was it's it's well situated. Um, you know, it's if if you do get a chance to go to Indiana, and I would uh, I would recommend it. It was the parking wasn't that bad, which was something that I was worried about. Um, you know, if you pre-book hotels, the hotel situation wasn't that bad either. Um, so yeah, it was all in all from a logistical standpoint, it was pretty good. Um, you know, obviously the the game didn't go quite as planned. Um, we both we both got tickets uh, before the game started because I 
had been panically texting you that they're, uh, you should not wait till right before the game to try to scalp because that's what I did on for the Kentucky game and was locked out. So my one word of advice for Indianapolis would be to make sure you get your tickets beforehand um, because the scalping situation was really messed up <laughs> on the Saturday. There was about 3,000 people sitting outside the stadium and there was six people selling tickets. So um, it was... Uh, once you're in the stadium, um, for me personally, the the nine point the nine point lead was the the high water mark of my uh, I think Wisconsin rooting for any sport experience. I it was pretty amazing to have you know eighty percent of a stadium um, kind of focused in on something that was so immense like that. I'm sure you felt similarly. Yeah, it was it was amazing. When we uh, when we went up there after that Kaminsky layup, I honestly thought we were going to win the national championship in men's basketball. And that, having been a Badger fan since I knew how to watch sports, that was a feeling I, I never thought I would get. And despite Duke ending up victorious, it's a feeling I'll never forget. And it it's, you know... Actually, it's not small consolation. It's kind of a large consolation victory for me in that, you know, this is kind of embarrassing. We were almost national champions, and that seems like it might be as good as it'll get for Wisconsin basketball. Yeah, I, I felt similarly where it was It was kind of a... When I was leaving the stadium, uh, my wife and I were both upset, but I at the same point... At the same time, I was putting it in in this context, in this context that we talk about all the time, where you know, we as a program, as a university, Wisconsin just went to two Final Fours in a row. That is kind of amazing. When five years ago, if you had come to any any one of us and said, "Hey, do you think Bo Ryan's even going to get to a Final Four?" You know, every the consensus answer would have been, "I hope so." You know, I hope so. So he has yeah, this validation. Maybe. So for that to be something that occurs especially back to back with a with a group that was as fun to watch as this group was i think that all in all it was just an enjoyable it was an enjoyable ride that i could take at face value which i think is the kind of important thing you know wisconsin basketball program is in unbelievably good shape um we can kind of transition into what what that change is going to be to have a player like Decker leave early as he had as he decided last week is one of those double-edged swords from a program health perspective right because you can have you can only have that with the success so it ultimately you would like to have gotten the national championship and Decker leaving but you know they have only one player in the history of a poaching staff leave early for the NBA is something that has always been kind of a knock against Wisconsin. I'm sure was used against them in recruiting battles. Oh, de- definitely. I mean, this this run of play in the last two years, and then Decker leaving early for the draft are both huge high watermarks for the Wisconsin basketball program. It's going to help so much on the recruiting trail. You could al- already see that it's helping. And this is probably one of the best recruiting classes in school history coming in. And we still missed out on our top two targets, but we were in the conversation for two top 10 players in the country. The thing that will help Wisconsin basketball recruiting moving forward 
is Kaminsky and Decker getting drafted in the first round. That is the biggest thing these high school kids who are top basketball players are looking at. They want to know if you can coach them to get to the next level. In the past, I'm not 100% sure, but Ryan could be saying that in kids living in the rooms with sincerity. Yeah, there were some players who went on to the pros, Devin Harris, you know, Alondo Tucker for a minute, Lure. But, you know, besides Harris for a couple years, there were no real, like, first-round bona fide stars. Kaminsky and Decker are both going to be drafted in the first round. And, honestly, Nigel Hayes will probably be drafted in the first round next year and Koenig the year after that. That's going to be an amazing thing for Bo Ryan and his coaching staff to be able to sell to these top-flight kids that we're already in the discussion for but now might be able to close on. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this not as much on the podcast, but it's a frequent topic of conversation. The ultimate thing that you can sell is that you're going to have success in the college game, plus you are going to be able to put yourself in position to take that success and translate it into something that you can make money at doing, right? So if some... You know, programs strive to have both of those at all times, and Wisconsin appears to have broken through as a powerhouse. You know, in in the state of Wisconsin, kids in high school look at Wisconsin like a powerhouse. But now you're going to start maybe seeing kids from Chicago look at Wisconsin like a powerhouse. Chicago sports in general are so depressed about things that they're going to probably wrap their arms around Frank Kaminsky now that he is no longer associated with Wisconsin. And they're probably going to start marketing himself as their own, somewhat like they did with uh, Anthony Davis, where every time Anthony Davis comes back, the entire city was like, oh, that's our guy, even though none of us knew who he was until he went to Kentucky. So a Chicago thing, and I see it. I definitely see it coming for Frank Kaminsky. So if they can get some momentum with that in the Chicagoland area, I mean, they can be in the, you know, in the conversation with some of these just perennial college talent producing programs that you see in the city. You know, Julia Okafer is from Whitney Young. Wisconsin can get in on some of those types of players. That's going to make a big difference. I, Wisconsin did recruit Julia Okafer. I do remember that. And um, I remember thinking to myself, man, I can't believe that Wisconsin's taken a taking the drive down to even try it'll be interesting to see if they if they just seize on that and go after some of these some of these people that they might not have had the leverage before so yeah Yeah, there's no reason that schools like duke and kentucky should be coming into chicago and taking the top players in the midwest away from like these big 10 powerhouses like schools like wisconsin and michigan state and ohio state should be getting these kids to stay at home and play and i think wisconsin's run a success will definitely get them in the door with a bunch of these kids where before they probably wouldn't have. So transitioning into this next wave of players that's going to be coming in and players that are already in that are going to be taking different roles, how do you see some of the players that are currently on the team's roles expanding? I think that the consensus is that Vito Brown and uh, Ethan Hopp be two of the players whose roles expand the most. What have you seen that you can use to kind of project where they're going to be in? So I, I think there there are two starting spots that are set in stone. Obviously, Bronson Koenig is going to be running the show at point guard, and uh, Nigel Hayes will be starting. I, I am of the belief that Nigel Hayes will slide to the three and play a lot more small forward with him expanding his range this season to include uh, three-pointers. I think he can fill in more as a, uh, a scorer out on the wing 
and open up a spot down low for uh, redshirt freshman Ethan Happ, who is uh, who's a banger. He he gets rebounds. He plays defense, and I think he'll remind uh, some people of a, a Mike Wilkinson type of guy. They uh, one of the main reasons they redshirted Happ was to rework his jump shot. And uh, I attended the red-white scrimmage this past year, and watching him shoot free throws was was painful. And I think if he can retool his jump shot and expand that out to, you know, between 14 and 16 feet, he's going to be a monster in the Big Ten. I uh, I think Vito Brown will see expanded minutes if he wants them, if he can improve his attitude a little and uh, really commit to the program. I think Brown could find himself in a starting role uh, kind of by default, which is, as Homer Simpson noted, are the two greatest words in the English language. Uh, unfortunately, I think Zach Showalter will probably be thrust into a starting role at shooting guard. I uh, I love how that guy plays. I don't know if I'm going to love how he plays for 28 to 32 minutes a night. So I, there's some questions for the, the starting lineup next year, but you never really want to count out uh, a Bo Ryan-led team in the Big Ten. Showalter is that that classic energy guy. Every single every single college team in general has a, a has a Zach Showalter. You saw Duke Zach Showalter come in and score sixteen points, and you know oh, he was a five star recruit, but he was still there. There's Zach Showalter. Do you look at Bo Ryan's success in taking players that have not traditionally been three point shooters and turning them into three point shooters as anything that you can kind of used to project Showalter? I mean, I, I, I hope Showalter's in the gym a bunch this offseason, just hoisting up jumpers. I think he made two three-pointers this year. Maybe it was only one. I, I don't even think he attempted very many. He, he's not known for his shooting. He's a, he's very athletic. He's a, a slashing type of guy. But I uh, I guess I'm not, I'm not 100% confident in his ability to turn into a threat from three, I'm I'm kind of hoping he can turn into enough of a threat where teams at least have to respect it. But I am going to not really hold my breath on that. I'm going to count on on Koenig and Hayes being the guys who can uh, stretch the defense and allow you know Brown and Hap room to operate down low. Now, from the incoming players' perspective. Uh, Cleo Iverson is, is kind of the gem of the class from uh, from everything that I've read, um, even though I don't believe he's the highest-ranked player in the class coming in. He's the he's the lowest-rated player actually of, of all four of all four kids. So, what makes him the person that is going to be, or the player that's most likely to be the what is becoming more customary? Thing that we're seeing with Bo Ryan, where he takes one freshman a year and seems to give them some minutes. You know, back back when we were in college, you know, it was much more rare to see a four-year contributor. Khalil Iverson is a, a Swiss Army knife type of basketball player. He can play three positions on offense and guard all three positions on defense, which I think is something Bo Ryan is going to love, being able to stick a guy out there who can guard a point guard as well as a small forward. If... Uh, if you look at Iverson's stats towards the end of his senior season out of Ohio, the, the dude was a triple-double machine. He had, I believe in his last month of play, three triple-doubles, and he uh, ended up setting all sorts of school records in the process. 
I mean, the the guy can pass, he can score, he can rebound, and he plays defense. So he's the type of guy and kid that Bo Ryan is going to love and I think will be able to insert into a, a minor role right away. And hopefully he plays well enough where he can expand on that and become, you know, a sixth or seventh man type guy right away, ready to, to step in uh, the following year. Now, transitioning into the other sport that is occasionally played at Wisconsin, the, the sport that is the most notable at Wisconsin, the spring football game is coming up. The big storylines are really Joel Stavi having the full reins. Um, what are some of the other storylines that you're kind of looking for at going into the spring game? You know, I, I've never been the, the biggest Joel Stave supporter, but I, I am excited for him that he's kind of coming in as the guy. Uh, you need your quarterback to have that level of confidence to lead the team. He can't always be looking over his shoulder. And I think the fact that while there is still a level of competition, you want to keep a dude on his toes, it's pretty clear that Stave is going to be the starter against Alabama in week one. And I think that's good. Uh, a couple of the other key things that should be looked for during the spring game is is who's going to run the ball after Corey Clement. I mean, we all know he's a talented guy, but he's never carried a full load for a season. Uh, our backup running back right now is uh, Dare Agunbowale, and he played defensive back at the start of last season. While he showed some nice glimpses of talent, I mean, the, the guy has played running back at the college level for less than a year. We've got a couple of freshmen behind him who were injured or redshirted. Uh, Taiwan Deal looks like he could be kind of a load to bring down, and he could be a nice uh, change of pace compared to Agumboale. But who who's going to be that guy? Wisconsin has kind of hung their hat on having two running backs that can come in and gash you and uh, threaten a 1,000 yards, even in limited carries. And I, I really don't know who's going to be that guy beyond Clement. I'm glad that you actually pronounced that name correctly because I have no degree of confidence in pronouncing that <laughs> name. And I won't until maybe the Hawaii game. I agree with you. I agree that every single person that watches Wisconsin at any degree um, has has had their you know issues with Stabby. He's not the most risk-adverse quarterback that Wisconsin has ever had. I'd say he's, he's much more of a... Um, of a gunslinger. Uh, he kind of reminds me, um, as a Chicago sports fan, a little bit of Rex Grossman, where he, he has he has the cannon and he wants to unleash it. Um, but he, he, you know, he makes more, he's definitely less of a risk-adverse player. From a wide receiver standpoint, uh, having a tight end more involved in your system is going to take some pressure off of that wide receiver class. I know you are a big fan of some of the wide receivers that are still on the team. Tell me that one of them is going to have more than 20 catches this year. I, I'm a big fan of one of the wide receivers that's still on the team. I'm a big fan of, of Rob Wheelwright, and I think he will have more than 20 catches this year. Uh, I mean, he, he kind of has to. Like The, the guys he's big, he's talented, he's shown glimpses. He caught that touchdown against Minnesota. And I think that'll give him some confidence heading into this year. And hopefully he can just, you know, grab a starting role and uh, use the extra space that having a guy like uh, Troy Fumagalli at tight end or Kyle Penniston out there, hopefully, that those guys, you know, commanding attention in the middle will open up space on the outside. 
for uh, Wheelwright and company. That's right. I'm putting him at the forefront of the wide receivers, and the, everybody else is the and company. Yeah, so he's the name partner in this company yeah. that you've created, <laughs> this fake company of wide receivers. <laughs> How big is their office? It's That's small. It's admittedly it's small. small. Are they in like a... Um, I imagine them like renting space from another office. Yeah, they're just being and having like maybe a couple of cubicles and like a corner office, perhaps. Right, right. They they share the kitchen. They don't even have their own kitchen. One player that could help some of those this the sad little company that we just created for the wide receivers is Tanner McAvoy. Now Tanner McAvoy has never been used in one position pretty much since he got to Wisconsin. What have you taken from the news that has come out about how they're going to use Tanner Mack? Obviously, he's not going to be a quarterback, but in what ways could he help Wisconsin this year from a offense and a defense perspective? That, that has been one of the most pleasing things that I've been hearing from all the beat reporters at a at a spring practice is how great Tanner McAvoy has looked. He is, you know, He's such a, a tremendous athlete, and he's so tall. Having a six foot six guy as one of your starting safeties that that's unheard of. That's you know he's a freak of nature out there, and he played well at safety. You know what was that two years ago now? And I I think he's he's kind of hopping right back in there. There have also been reports of him you know staying after practice and working with Stave as a wide receiver, which I think is amazing. Not many teams have a six foot six target out wide, and I think that will help Stave and his sometimes questionable accuracy immensely. You can just throw it up there and have him go get it. Now this is a a completely baseless and untrue comparison, but you look at a, a guy like Calvin Johnson, you just you just throw the ball up and he goes and gets it. Uh, Tanner McAvoy is the homeless man's Calvin Johnson if he can get out on the field as a as a wide receiver in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I think that someone probably had a pretty good conversation with, or a pretty realistic conversation with Tanner McAvoy at some point in the you know, six, seven months and said, hey, you're not going to be a quarterback in the NFL. I hate to break it to you. It's just not going to happen. So here's a list of all the people who are your size that play safety in the NFL. And it was a very small list. And then they also said, here's a list of the wide receivers in the NFL that are your size. You can do one or, or both or however you want to do it, but these are the only places that you're ever going to make money. And if you, I'm not sure what they're going to actually do with him in the spring game because I think he's kind of their Swiss Army, uh, Swiss Army knife that they don't really want to show um, too much of. But uh, I'm very excited to see what they do with him. Well, the only other bit of Badger news that has come out since the spin cycle of the Wisconsin basketball season has ended is the addition of a night game for the first time in a very long time. I think uh, it's been around 15 years since there was a night game at Wisconsin, and uh, they've randomly decided to choose Hawaii as the recipient of that honor. Why do teams not named Hawaii not want to go to night games? (laughs) Because if the fans do show up, then it's going to be a really rowdy environment, and it's uh, intimidating. I think playing our traditional rivals, Hawaii, at night is one of the biggest things for the Wisconsin football program in decades. Their traditional rivals. 
<laughs> I can't. I can't even keep a straight face with the traditional rivals. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I was offered tickets to several different games for this season, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I looked at the Hawaii game and said to myself, "That's going to be at 11 a.m. If I've ever seen an 11 a.m. <laughs> game, I've never been more confident in a game being played at 11 than the Hawaii game, and of course, night game." I'm a little surprised. I thought homecoming would potentially be a night game. I thought that there was a couple of other options that would potentially be a night game. But man, Hawaii, the non-conference, middle of middle of the season night game, amazing to me. <laughs> you got to think that Hawaii players coming from that time zone, like a night game is like an 11 o'clock start for them. So I think we could maybe uh, mess with their heads a little in terms of timing. Maybe give them breakfast at like midnight or something. Just really uh, go all out. Maybe Hawaii won't even show up to the game on time. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not good at this math. So are they? So what time would they prefer to play? They prefer to play in the morning. See, I, I, I honestly think they would probably prefer to play at night, right? Because wouldn't it be that would be like so. the morning for them? Yeah, I don't even know. I have no concept of the Hawaii time, which is going to be something that I'm going to have to get accustomed to very quickly because I'm going on my honeymoon to Hawaii in about a month and a half. All right, well, thanks very much for listening this week. As always, our Twitter handle, at Men in Red Show, is a moderate to mediocre follow on Twitter. If there's any suggestions or things that types of guests that you would like to hear, make sure to drop us a line. You can you can actually email the show at meninredshow at gmail.com. So without further ado, this has been the Men in Red Show. I'm John, and on behalf of Drew, thank you very much. For-